Hello and welcome to Beyond Survival, the new teacher podcast. My name is Jamie Tom. Today's episode is the first of a weekly teacher talk. These are talks that explore an aspect of classroom practice in 15 minutes or less. Today, I'll be exploring the language choices we can make as teachers to influence classroom behaviour. I hope that you find the three steps that this talk will follow helpful and impactful in terms of managing behaviour in your classroom. I'd like to start with a famous Native American story that for me is perfect in encapsulating some of the ideas that this talk will explore. One evening, an old Cherokee tells his grandson that inside all people, a battle goes on between two wolves. One wolf is negativity, anger, sadness, stress, contempt, disgust, fear, embarrassment, guilt, shame, and hatred. The other is positivity, joy, gratitude, serenity, interest, hope, pride, amusement, inspiration, awe, and above all, love. The grandson thinks about this for a minute, then asks his grandfather, well, which wolf wins? The grandfather replies, the one you feed. Now, what I'd like us to reflect on in the next 15 minutes is what are we feeding in our classroom context? And for me, classrooms are incredibly rich interpersonal dynamics. And the language choices we make can be profoundly impactful in securing the kind of behaviours we want young people to demonstrate. So the first of these three steps is civility and manners. Doug Lemov writes really, really powerfully about the role of basic manners in securing positive classroom behavior. And he says the following, when society is in decay, Please and thank you are the first things to go. It's useful to signal that civility and thus society are fully intact in your classroom. By modelling please and thank you constantly. Especially when students might see evidence of that fraying. Now, For me, that capacity to maintain a sense of decorum, a sense of calm in a classroom setting is absolutely vital. If we picture a kind of modern day classroom, and it's very similar in terms of primary and secondary, they're hugely reactive places. And children and teenagers, they thrive in getting some kind of reaction. 
Now, if instead of feeding the reactions that that classroom setting is often looking for, we replace that with that kind of gloriously polite focus on please and thank you, then we become a really important role model for young people in the classroom. And you'll recognise this is really, really hard to sustain conflict in the face of somebody who can be relentlessly polite. So when do we apply them? Okay, let's consider two different phrases. So the first one we could say to a group of young people is, please stop talking. Now, the please there doesn't really convey a strength and a conviction. And it sounds more like a request. And that's when we apply thank you. So stop talking, thank you. So it's about the impact of the emphasis. In the first, the class are hearing the please. In the second, they're hearing the stop first, and then the thank you. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we're being ludicrous here and we're banning please from our collection of teacher phrases. Please is also a vital word in supporting that positive, polite, calm classroom atmosphere. So, when do we use please? Okay, let's consider a collection of phrases. The students, should we start? Yes, please. Students, can I hang out the books? Yes, please. Students, can I share my responses? Yes, please. And it's brilliant for encouraging positive relationships, encouraging young people to be proactive in the classroom. And what you do find as well, it's like osmosis. The young people start to buy into that process. And those words, please and thank you, start becoming much more present in the classroom setting. So that's the first step. Basic civility and manners. The second step is about the language ratio we're using in the classroom and about naming the specific behaviours that we're looking for. Now, I'm really interested in the research of Barbara Fredrickson on this. And she's a positive psychology professor who spent decades studying what will help humans to flourish. And she writes about a three to one ratio, which argues that in order to flourish and to feel positive, we need to have three positive reflections or moments for every negative one. Now, that for me sounds brilliant in terms of the classroom. That sounds really positive for young people to be in the hands of somebody who is upbeat and who is positive. And educational research has also supported this. The Education Endowment Foundation highlights research that suggests a focus on the 5 to 1 ratio is effective. And what they write is the following. The 5 to 1 ratio theory is that for every criticism or complaint the teacher issues, they should aim to give five specific compliments, approval statements and positive comments. Now, intuitively, this makes sense. Either in the primary or the secondary context, young people are in rooms with us 
for a sustained period of time. Now, we want those rooms and we want them to feel positive in our company. We want them to feel that this is a place that shines a light on valuable behaviours. Now, inevitably, our classroom context is going to have behaviours that we are not looking for. But by shining a light and keeping a positive ratio high in our classroom, again, it's about what we feed. And for me, it's always been about what are the classroom values that I really want to focus in on. And if I think of three, ideally, we want young people to be attentive, we want them to be respectful, and really, we want them to be thinking carefully. And what we're looking for are opportunities to be really explicit to students who are showing those qualities. So what does that look like in practice? So that could be phrases like, thank you, John. You've been really, really attentive today. I really appreciate it. So shining a light on John's capacity to really focus in on what we're doing. Oh, I love how carefully you're listening to me, Mary. That's brilliant. Okay, recognising that listening is something really, really valuable in our classroom context and the complexity of that process. Oh, you thought so carefully about that, Matthew. I really, really appreciate it. So we ask so many questions, but are we then recognising that young people are thinking hard and thinking carefully? And as I said, that becomes replicated in a classroom. If young people know that their efforts are being celebrated in your classroom context, they are more likely to invest that kind of effort. And they recognise it's a positive atmosphere to be in. So that was step two. Name the specific behaviours you are looking for. The final one I'd like to spend the next few minutes talking about is how we can use language to depersonalize behavior. Now, I'm pretty confident I'm not the only one who's walked down a school corridor and heard a young person outline, often very, very persuasively, the reasons why a teacher has some kind of vendetta against them. He totally hates me. He can't stand me. Now, of course, it's nonsense. And the teacher has not got some kind of vendetta against the young person. But that young person, by convincing themselves of the truth of the teacher's dislike, they've given themselves a get-out-of-jail-free card. They don't have to take responsibility for their behaviour choice in the classroom. And they're justifying, really, why they won't even try to do work in that lesson. So what are some of the phrases we use in a classroom that might contribute to that conflict and that sense of a young person feeling like they are being picked on? Rhetorical questions are a key one with this. Why are you still talking? Why are you always so disruptive? The way we use our body language towards a young person, the way we use the tone of our voice, it all has a massive impact in terms of how they feel in our company. 
And rhetorical questions, all they do is feed that sense of conflict. So what can we do instead? We address the behaviour, not the young person. And we detach the behavioural feedback from their personalities. So there's not that same sort of personal investment that makes that young person feel like they are somehow being victimised. So let's consider two examples. The first is Billy. And Billy is not doing any work in your lesson. Apologies to any listeners called Billy. So Billy's not doing any work. How could we communicate that to Billy? Billy, today I'd really like to see you working as well as you did yesterday. Make a positive choice and stop talking. Thank you. So this kind of corrective feedback in the classroom starts off with praise. It reminds Billy he's really, really capable of making positive choices in the lesson. The expectation is also very clear. Billy needs to stop talking and do some work. But it's connected with the making a positive choice. And I love that phrase in the classroom, make a positive choice. Because all behaviour ultimately is about making active choices and young people can rectify it. Let's look at Georgina. So Georgina has been really, really difficult in your lesson, very disruptive. Phrase we could use with Georgina. George, you're being a nightmare today. Why are you still talking? Now, often behavioural feedback doesn't even use a child's name. And that shows a lack of investment in the relationship. Nightmare is also symptomatic of some of the ways in which we as teachers can discuss young people privately, which feeds into classroom interactions. The connotations for Georgina, though, are really, really clear. A nightmare is something we would do anything to escape from. Let's rephrase it. Georgina, your choices today are making it really difficult for you to concentrate. The work is important, and I'd really like you to have a go at it. So using the name has a calming and relational effect. The structure of this sentence is also really important. It's I've got a focus on choices, and again, it depersonalizes things, and the focus is always on the work. So, just to recap, three key steps to helping to secure positive behavior in our classrooms. One, using civility, using manners as much as possible. Two, naming the specific behaviors we'd like to see more of. Three, depersonalizing behavioral feedback as much as possible. And those three aspects feed positivity, that focus, and that clarity of relationship building that we want to do in our classrooms. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you find this helpful. If you have, please do pass it on. And on Wednesday, we've got a fantastic interview that I'll be sharing with you with Craig Barton on some fantastic tips for teachers at the start of their career. Thank you.